Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Bible, uh, Genesis chapter 25 is where I'm going to turn. And I want to read to you about a guy who had an appetite. And I do believe that healthy marriages and healthy relationships really boil down to what type of appetites you uh, manage and what type of appetites you feed. Here's a really simple truth. The appetites you feed grow and the appetites that you starve die. And many of us are captive to unhealthy lifestyle and choices because we perpetually feed the wrong appetite. And so I want to talk to you today about not just having a good appetite or a bad appetite. I want to talk to you about God appetites. Is that all right? This is not a rules church. Uh, So if you come from a maybe really formal, legalistic, liturgical type of church, you're going to be a little bit dumbfounded today because I'm not going to get up here and tell you what you can't do. I do believe that what we can do is greater than what we can't do. Come on, if I can't get a Pentecostal amen, I'll take a Baptist head nod. Give me a Presbyterian eyebrow raise or a Latter-day Saint deep breath. Come on, give me something. And uh, we're going to have a good time this morning. If you believe it, say, oh, yeah. And I do believe that there's something powerful about when the room begins to get behind the word of God. It creates an atmosphere of faith. And so this morning, if you're taking notes, I want to talk to you about God appetites. God appetites. I do believe that society is only as strong as its families. Only as strong as its families. So if I was the devil... If you believe the devil is real, we do believe that he is real. He's not a figment of our imagination. If I was trying to destroy the church, cities, regions, I would attack the the, the marriage family. And I think one of the greatest assaults of our era is really the attack on marriage. Because healthy marriages produce healthy kids. Most people that get incarcerated have issues, identity crisis. It's usually the absence of of a father or a mother in the house. And I believe that one of the greatest cracks in the foundation of the church is in our family home units. And if I could just preach before I preach, I love love saying this, before I preach, let me say something. Is that all right? Before I say something, I want to say this to you, that I believe that our society and our government trains us more on valuing cars on the streets than we do families in our houses. How could you say that? Because if you want a driver's license at 16 years of age, you got to read a book, you got to meet with a driving instructor before they'll let you get a license to go out onto the streets. But we live in an era that you can go get a justice of a peace without reading anything, talking to anybody, you just apply for it, you go in, you go out, and we wonder, why is it that we have less accidents on the streets than we do in our households? I believe it's because we've trained people in our society for failure. And so if it's okay today, can I get a little bit, come on, a little passionate this morning? I believe that Ocean's Church will have healthy, vibrant marriages. I don't care if you've been married for 60 years or six months, we will produce some healthy marriages. And if you believe it, say amen. Matthew, or Genesis chapter, uh, it's the first book of one of the Bibles, yeah. Genesis chapter 25. Let's turn there together. It says this, I'm going to read 10 verses. Everything I talk about is connected to these verses. So let's read along together. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you have it memorized, you're a genius, congratulations. No, it's up on the screens behind me. It says this, there's two nations in the womb of this matriarch named Rebecca. Her husband's name was Isaac. She had twins. God tells her that they're going to be two different people groups, and the older is going to serve the younger. So verse 24 is where we pick up reading. It says, so when the days of her pregnancy came to, to give birth, uh, indeed, there was twins in her womb. The first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over, and they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his little brother came out. His hand took hold of his heel, so his name was called Jacob. 
Isaac was 60 years old when they became pregnant, so they were from Orange County. It's a fun joke. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was mild man dwelling in the tents. So Jacob was like Bear Grylls, and uh, Jake, uh, excuse me, Esau was like Bear Grylls, and Jacob liked to hang out at Barnes and Noble and sip coffee. Therefore, his name was called, uh, I'm sorry, I missed, I missed the part here, uh, Skillful Hunter. Okay, there we go. Verse 28, and Isaac loved Esau because of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Verse 29, very important. Now, Jacob cooked a stew. Say it with me, stew. Who likes stew? Come on, some stew people in the house. It's, it's winter time. It's appropriate. Like stew, and uh, it goes on to say that Esau came in from the field, came in from the field, came in from the you can highlight that in your Bible, very important. And he was weary. He was weary from coming in from the field. Esau said to Jacob, please feed me some of that red stew. I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, uh, let's make a deal. Sell me your birthright as it is of this day. And Esau's like, what good is a birthright? I'm about to die. So what good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me as it is this day. So Esau swore to him his birthright to his brother Jacob, and Jacob gave Esau some bread and some stews of lentils. Then he ate and then he drank. He arose. He went his way. Thus, Esau, interesting, despised not his choice, but he despised his birthright. The illogic nature of sin. I want to talk to you today about God appetites. Are you ready to go? Lord, I just pray for the next several moments that you would bless this time we have together. I pray uh, that you would meet us where we are. I pray that your word would come out with power and clarity. I thank you that you would minister to your people, feed them and lead them. And I just thank you that we'd all leave saying, I'm glad I came to church this morning. I pray that you'd encourage married couples. I pray that you would comfort those that are single, those that are widowed, maybe divorced. And I just thank you that there is no shame, guilt, condemnation in this room today. But this is an atmosphere of encouragement and faith. We love you, God. We welcome you. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, come on, someone say amen. amen. Who likes to eat in here? Who's got a good appetite? Man, I love eating. Uh, eating is one of my favorite things to do. I actually exercise so I can eat more. Who plays to break even? Come on. Thanksgiving, I always go on this long run in the morning just so I can eat as much as I want. It's like I'm not going to break even, but I'm going to try to get as close as I can to getting back to that break even point. Uh, I actually exercise only so I can eat. Every year, I try to go to the gym as much as I can in, in January, and I don't like going to the gym. Honestly, I go to the gym. Uh, I like to eat so much. My favorite machine at the gym is the, the vending machine, and um, I go there. I've had the trainer, you know, Gemini, the trainer, and uh, he's from Gladiators, and the guy doesn't work out. He eats the weights, and uh, I don't know if you've been to the gyms before. I feel so inadequate at gyms. Anybody else? It's like I thought I was in decent shape until I went to the gym. And all these people that should be home eating are at the gym. It's like, I want to look at these guys and just be like, go home, you're done, dude. You're finished up. You're making the rest of us look bad. I don't know what it is, man, but I, I like going to McDonald's. I feel like I'm Matthew McConaughey at McDonald's. <laughs> go to the gym, I feel inferior. I feel less than. And it's funny, you tell people that you like McDonald's, they look at you like you support dogfighting or something. <laughs> but it's, someone's eating these burgers, people, okay? They sell about a billion a year. Every once in a while I crave, I want to be honest, about once a year I crave some unhealthy, maybe it's more than that, I crave some unhealthy delicacy uh, with the golden arches associated to it. 
And I find myself having a low moment in life in the drive-thru, ordering those little cheeseburgers that have crack cocaine inside of them. And uh, it's just crazy. I, I, you go there, and I'll be honest, man, appetites are crazy. You watch a commercial, Taco Bell, it's midnight, you're like, I got time. <laughs> and I'm being honest, man, like, you get an appetite, you get a pull on your heart, your soul, your spirit, and you get these appetites, you get these cravings. It's like, man, I want that so bad right now. And, and you give into it. And I've been there before, and I think one of my favorite things is when I go to, like, a fast food restaurant, and you find that bonus french fry. Who likes the bonus fry? It's like you ate everything in the bag. You're still hungry. You're like, man, I wish there was more. And it's like Jesus is like, give him one more. <laughs> you reach down. You pull out this 16-inch french fry. You put three, package of ca- three packets of ketchup on it. And you cherish it like your firstborn child. <laughs> appetites. I believe that uh, here's what we know about appetites is that God gives us appetites. All of us have appetites. And I believe that what you do with your appetites determine happiness or the opposite of. I believe that appetites are, are something that are, that are wired into the fabric of our humanity. And I, I find in the Bible that many people, they compromise what they could have been, what they could have done, what they should have done, because they gave in to the wrong appetite. I talked about honor last week because the foundation of great relationships is honor. But I believe that we have to first and foremost desire, if we're going to have great marriages and kids and households and families, we have to desire the right appetites. We live in a society that's propagating wrong appetites. We propagate giving to any desire, any thought. If you thought it, it belongs to you. But I want you to know that you are not what you think. Not every thought that pops in between your ears belongs to you. And the, and the light and the farce of our society is, is that if you thought a thought, then that's your original thought. That's who you are, and that's what you're limited to doing. But I want you to know that if a garbage truck dropped trash off in your front yard, you don't open your front door and say, my trash. The trash might have ended up in your yard, but it does not belong to you. Can I get a good amen? And I, I live in an era, we live in an era, that the world is propagating what we should crave, why we should crave it, and it's okay to eat whatever you want, whenever you want. But I want you to know that throughout Scripture, people that mismanaged their appetites affected a lot of damage. Adam and Eve got us in this predicament in the, in the beginnings because of a mismanaged appetite. And if I, could just, if I could just pull the veil back for a moment and let you in on what the devil's ancient secret is, he is good at getting you to obsess over something you currently don't have access to. That's why when you're single, all you do is obsess about being married. And when you're married, all you obsess about is having kids. When you have kids, you obsess about, I wish my kids grew up and got out of the house. And then you obsess about, man, I wish my kids came back to the house. And then I wish, and you always are in this season of looking for what you currently do not have. I heard a really wise statement years ago from Joyce Meyer. She was interviewed, and someone asked, uh, I'm so dis- discouraged that I'm not pregnant, that I can't get pregnant. I look around at my pregnant friends, and I just I almost resent them for having what I cannot have. She goes, what should I do in this predicament? I remember her saying something so wise. She said this very, very concrete statement. She said, whenever I want something so bad that I, I made a decision I won't be happy until I have it, I have forged an idol. And I believe in our era, we are looking for things to satisfy our appetites. And anytime I'm trying to fulfill an appetite without the presence and the blessing of God, we start to forge idols in our life. Are you tracking with me today? Appetites are crazy. We all have them and how we manage them. And I think the two hardest appetites, one of my mentors told me this years ago, I'm talking fast because I have a lot to say. 
One of my mentors said this to me. He said, Mark, managing your sexuality and managing your money are the two hardest things to manage in your life. And most divorces happen because of sexual decisions or because of financial decisions. The lack of stewardship or the, 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 the other part. You're a good crowd. I want you to know this morning that I believe that God gave you your appetites. Adam and Eve screwed things up in the beginning because of mismanaged appetites. We look at, we look at Abraham and Sarah. They were hungry for a child. But whenever we try to satisfy our appetites with our own means, a lot of times we create Ishmaels in our life. I believe that only God can satisfy ultimate appetites. Abraham and Sarah, we see also David had an appetite for a married woman. And that, that, that got into a, a large mess as well. Ananias and Sapphira had an appetite for notoriety and for, for influence in the early church. And they tried to satisfy maybe a God appetite a human way. And I believe that one of the greatest assaults on marriage today is that we're trying to have God outcomes, but man's means to get them. We're trying to eat whatever we want and get the six-pack. Feel like preaching for a second. It's crazy. We value commitment more than we value preparation. And I'll tell you right now, every Sunday, people are getting married. Saturday, Friday nights, people are getting married at churches, getting justice of the peace. And we're making promises that we can't keep. I promise to love you and to cherish you and be faithful to you like I haven't been to everybody else before you. And we, we put too much, I'm not, I'm not hating or condemning anybody. I want you to know, pulling the veil back, that God's desire for us is to prepare for success, not failure. And we live in an era that says just test drive the car, try on the shoes, don't, do, don't be old-fashioned and old-school. But I want you to know that many people are driving broke-down used cars and wearing three pairs of old shoes because they didn't honor what God said he could do for their lives. I'm not hey, going to follow me today. I believe whether you're married, single, divorced, or widowed, there is hope for all of us today. Can I get a good amen? I believe it comes back to a decision in your mind that says, I will have the right appetites and let God fill me with his desires. It's very simple. And I love this because Esau had a God appetite. He was hungry. And I want to just bring our attention to this idea here that he came in Genesis 25 out of the... He was in the field. It says the verse prior to this, verse 27, that Esau was a man of the... So you could say this way. This was the area of his influence. This was the sphere of his giftedness. He was anointed, the church word, anointed in the field. And it says that he came out of the field and he was weary. Here's what I've learned about the gifts that God gives us. We are the most vulnerable after we use our gifts. So when you're, a, when you're a preacher, I'm most vulnerable. When I step off the stage, my, my favorite and the only person I care about is what my wife has to say about me. I am vulnerable. As a, as a businessman, you're, after you make a big deal, you're vulnerable. When you're in a, a desperate situation, you're using your intellect, you're, you're using wisdom, you're crunching numbers. We are weary often when we step out of the fields of our life of influence. And it says he stepped out of the field, he was weary, he was hangry, like some of you second service, like, wrap this up, preacher, let's go. And it says this, that Esau comes in, he smells stew, he smells stew, and it says that he tried to satisfy a God need with a temporary fix. And therein lies, I believe, the, the number one flaw of most relationships is we try to satisfy a God desire, but we try to go about it a man, man's means. 
man's ways. So he comes out, I need some stew. He tells his little brother, I want that stew. His little brother's like, oh, you want some stew? Okay, and this is what Jacob does. He actually benefits from his brother's lack of discretion. He says, all right, I'll give it to you, my Super Bowl of, of lentil stew. I'll give this to you in exchange for your birthright. Birthrights meant you got double money. It meant that you became the patriarch of your family when your father passed away, and the blessing of God was on your life. And this is what's crazy about sin and bad decisions in our life. You will make irrational decisions to justify a temporary desire. You ever met someone who's like, dude, you're making, you're driving off a cliff in this relationship, and they say love is, why is it blind? Because love creates a fog. It does. And many people make bad choices in the fog, and that's why it's so important to have people around you that love you enough to go, hey, there's other food in the pantry, bro. You're not dying. Because sin exaggerates. Notice what he says. He's like, give me your birthright. He's like, all right, what good is my birthright? I'm going to die anyways. It's like, bro, you're not in the ER. You're not on a stretcher or a gurney. That's fun to say. You're not on a gurney. You're not, you don't have an IV in your arm. Esau, you walked into the house. You're not physically dying. You're just hungry. But you know what he did is he had an appetite that he tried to satisfy the wrong way. And this is what I believe in relationships, that when we try to satisfy God appetites, but we try to satisfy our way, here's what the world, here's what the world says. Sin at first glance looks like ultimate freedom, but it ends in slavery. God's way looks like limitations originally, but it ends in ultimate freedom. And I've learned that many people, they choose what's what right now instead of what's Mr. or Mrs. Right. You follow me? And I want to just, come on, I want to just, if I could just meet all ages here, I really do believe that appetites come from God. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. I've learned this, man. You can, that's why with, with the epidemic with pornography, I'm going to talk about it in this church, because they say like eight out of ten people are struggling with some form of, of, of that, that world. And so no one's talking about it, but it's, it's, it's devastating lives all over the world. And here's what we know. Solomon said, the eyes of man are like death and hell. They're never satisfied. They're never full. That's why the more you look at bad things, the, the, the more empty and more hollow you become. Because you can't satisfy the appetite of your carnal nature. It's never satisfied. It's never like, oh, that was enough drugs. That was enough substance abuse. That was enough money. That was enough fame. That was enough notoriety. You will never satisfy the ego of your flesh. Never. You can't make enough money. You can't live in a big enough house. If you're living for your flesh, you can't, you can't have as much sexuality. There's, there's parts of your flesh that are never fully and finally satisfied. Can I get an amen? Number two, what about appetites? Is I learned this, that God created appetites, but sin distorts our appetites. Sin will distort the truth. I'm dying. You're not dying. You're just hungry. So you know what he does is he sells his birthright for stew. The worst business transaction in history. And honestly, I wish I had Michael J. Fox. Come on, who's I'm talking about? The DeLorean. I would go back in time. I would talk to our boy Esau. And I would say, Esau, you do not want to do this. Esau, look at me. Stay away from the light. You do not want to do this. This is the worst business transaction in the Bible. And guess what, Esau, if you say no to the stew today, guess what's going to happen? In 350 years, God is, of the universe is going to appear to Moses at a bush that's burning but not consumed. 
And when the voice of the Most High comes out of the bush in Exodus chapter 3, he's going to introduce himself to humanity and to Moses as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But if you eat this stew today, it's going to become the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, and by the way, 2,000 years from now, the greatest lineage of humanity will be written down in Matthew chapter 1. And in the lineage of Jesus Christ, it will go on to say that Jesus came from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But today we don't know that trinity, that, that triune family, because of one man's decision to temporarily fix a God long-term desire. Are you tracking? Was that too heavy this morning? He needs to give us donuts. I'm sorry. I'll give you something sweet here in a second. It says this, that, that, that we know that from the scriptures that, that his appetite literally compromised, it compromised what God had in store for him. Matthew 4, 4 talks about appetites. It says that man does not live by the appetite of bread alone. But only way to satisfy our desire is from every word that comes from God. It goes on to say in John chapter 4 that Jesus said, my food, my appetite is to do the will of the God that sent me here and to finish his work. It says in Psalms 34 verse 8 that, I'm, that, that it says, I know you're hungry, but the, the author writes, taste and see that God is good. I believe the only person that won't disappoint you in a relationship fully is God. And I want you to write this down today. There are some things in your life that your husband or your wife can't satisfy. And many people, they, they fail in relationships because they put, they put God expectations on their spouse. And I'm telling you, there are some things that only your husband or only your wife can be and can do. But there's also some limited things that only God can bring to your life. Are you tracking with me? And here's some myths about appetites, that if I find the right person, everything will be okay. That's, that is a myth. You could say this way, if I, if, if I meet the right person, everything will be all right. I believe finding the right person is better than the wrong person. Amen. But I don't believe it is, it is a solve, a cure-all. Because here's what I know about God, is that the decisions we make when we're younger are the decisions that actually follow us into our adult life. And I actually fundamentally believe that there's not marriage problems in America and in the church. There are single problems that collide when two lives come together in marriage. You don't fight a marriage over married things usually. It's usually who you were or who your family is in the context of individuals. And I'm telling you today that most people don't realize there's more baggage that comes into marriage. And we believe lies like this. Well, if I meet the wrong person, then I'll stop being lustful. If I meet the right person, then I'll be nicer. If I meet the right person, then I'll be loyal. If I meet the right person, then I'll be better with my money. I want you to know that people don't change you. That's a good spot for an amen right there. And we believe this fairy tale, bachelor, bachelorette lie, that if I get the red rose, then everything will be all right. It's not the way it works. And that's why I'm convinced that when you're single, the best thing you can do, while you're in a relationship, by the way, is rather than focusing on finding the right person, focus on becoming the right person. It's one of the greatest things I could give you. You're young today. Focus on becoming the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. We'll have aspirin in the back for all the headaches in here. Become the type of person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Well, I want like a godly, good-looking, in shape, dedicated, disciplined man or woman of God. It's like, is that what you are? Because some of you are expecting, man, Lexus, but you're on a Honda budget. Are you tracking me right now? 
And I'm t- this happens all the time in the church world, man. I'm getting a Mercedes. I'm getting this nice, fancy wife, high, the spouse. And what you're doing is you're literally living a Toyota lifestyle. And I ain't hating on Toyotas. I think they're great cars. But I really do believe, and this is a fundamental truth, that you will attract what you are, not what you want. It's a great spot for an amen. And what do I do in a marriage? What if I already found the wrong, what if I already got in a relationship, we got the cart ahead of the horse, and we're not on the same page spiritually? What do I do then? I do believe there's hope for everybody. I believe fundamentally that God can heal every wound in a relationship. Number one, can I get an amen? Number two, I believe this, that there's something powerful about a, a spouse that is going after God and praying for their husband or their wife. And I know many people that are in the ministry today that were atheists and agnostics, but their wives went to church before they would go to church with their wife. And they would do the Mother's Day thing, that they'd go to church once a year with their wife to appease the peace of, of the household. And they had a God encounter because the wife perpetually prayed for their husband. And there's some great guys that have written books on marriages that that was their narrative. My wife won me over with her example and with her prayers. That's a good spot for an amen. So watch this. Almost finished today. I believe that this is what I would kind of bring this full circle to is that 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll throw it up on the screens, and I want to reveal this kind of dirty little secret, is that we live in a society that flips things upside down. But God turns things right side up. Watch what the author writes in Thessalonians. He says, I... I, now I, may the God, now may the God of peace, the God of what? Good news, when you do things God's way, you don't get anxiety. Well, if I do like, it's like an old, ancient, outdated book, like it's old school, like God doesn't know what he's talking about. You know how stupid that is? That's like some of you like grabbing the owner's manual out of your car and saying, that doesn't, they don't know what they're talking about. They might have made this car, but they don't really know what's going on in this car. I want you to know that the person that has the greatest authority on a topic is the one that created it. May the God of what? So as Ocean's Church, as we do things God's way, we will live a life of, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. That is a fancy church word for make you more like Jesus and less like a screwed up dysfunctional you. Sanctify you completely, not not somewhat, not partially, but Now watch the sequential order here. And may your whole spirit, soul, and may your whole what? One more time. Come on, everyone's paying attention today. Soul. I'm just kidding. kidding. What's going on? Uh, I really believe this. That we live in an era, you know what we do is we worship the body. We're fascinated with the soul but we're really not interested in the spirit. And you know why many marriages fall apart is because all the world tells us is if you're physically attracted to somebody, that's enough. Like if, if, if the sex is good enough, the relationship is strong enough that way, you're gonna make it. Love covers all the mistakes and flaws of a relationship. And I wanna just let you know a secret right now that sex does not solve relational issues. And if you're single in here, or you're young in here, I'd, I'd really encourage you this. I've never in all my years of pastoring people heard one person that said this, I wish I would have waited to be physical longer or sooner. That's what I'm going to say. It's like, why does this not make sense? <laughs> Way off the second service, guys. Come on, have grace. I never met anybody who's like, you know what, man? I wish we would have been sexual sooner. I just wish. I wish, man, I just, I said it wrong again, huh? I wish we would have waited longer. Is that what? 
Sooner, there it is. Help me preach, somebody. I can't tell you how many people I've met that counsel say, you know what, as soon as we incorporated this physical part of the relationship, everything got confusing. And seriously, I want you to know, theologically, sex is not just physical. It's a spiritual action. And I'm going to be really honest with you, that if sex was just physical, it wouldn't be a big deal. But it's not. And I can prove it to you. Because if you're verbally abused or physically abused, it's not the same as being sexually abused. There's a trauma that occurs with sexual relationships that does not occur with physical or even with verbal. That your body can heal from a sexual abusive situation, but the carnage in your mind and your heart can stay with you a lifetime. Why? Because sexual things are not just a natural physical action. And that's all Hollywood, and that's all society's propagating. Is this, come on, it's not a big deal. It's just you being physical with them and you being physical with you. It's not a big deal. I want you to know that sex, in, by nature, is one of the most intimate things that human beings have to offer another human being. And it's a picture of God with the church, that God wants to know his people at the highest level of intimacy possible. It's an intimate action. It's knowing someone in a way that you don't know anybody else. And that's why the devil's trying to cheapen the sexual bed in, in relationships and get people, and that's what his, his, his goal is. God's, uh, excuse me, the devil's goal in, in relationships is to get you in bed with somebody before you're married and out of bed after you get married. That's what he does. That's why it's, it goes back to Adam in the garden. What does the devil do? He points out the two trees you can't have right now, but he makes you ignore the orchards that are around you. There's thousands of trees to eat, and the devil gets you obsessed over the two trees you can't have. That's what he does today. That's why when you're single, you're like, all I want is to be married. And when you're married, all I want is to have kids. And when you have kids, all I want is my kids to grow up. The devil gets you fascinated with things that you don't have instead of being grateful for what you do. Are you following me today still? I know that no one talks about this stuff in church. Is that all right? But I believe this, that God's, God's methodology of doing things in a healthy light with your appetites is number one. I believe the most valuable things you can value in your spouse or the person you're dating or you're engaged to or if you're single and ready to mingle, follow me, is find someone that actually has the same values and the same love for God that you do. Because I want you to know, write these three things down, that you, you live in a body, you have a soul, but you are a spirit. I will repeat, you live in a body, you have a soul, but you are a spirit. You know what society tries to do is they try to tell us they invert those three things. Could you put it back up on the screen for me? They try to invert these, these th three things. They say it's all about, number one, the body. And the body's good enough, you can tolerate an okay soul. And if you have a little bit of chemistry, that's cool. That's all right. You have a little bit of chemistry. But the body's awesome. The body's a Facebook. Come on, look at their profile. Swipe left, right, up, down. I don't know. It's cross. And uh, just, it's body. It's all about the body and then a little bit about chemistry with the soul. And then they say, third thing, not very important, is the uh, spirit. She goes to a different church than you do. She has a different worldview than you have. Not a big deal. She's got a great body. He's got a great body. He's got a great job. And we kind of get along. I want you to know, if you want to sabotage your children, find someone that doesn't line up with your spiritual values. Because the day will come that you have kids and you're not just living for romance anymore physically, and these little kids are actually in the house, and, and she starts going, I want to take them and sacrifice to these pagan gods. And you're like, well, I was raised in church, even though I live like the devil, I, I want to raise my kids in church again. And now you start having these large-scale fights because of the foundation of your relationship was body, soul, spirit, 
Instead of saying, you know what, she's beautiful, but she loves God even more than I do. This guy, he's awesome, but he loves God. And I'm telling you right now, gravity's going to set in, and we're going to age, and he ain't, and she ain't going to always look like she does. We live in Orange County. They're going to look good longer. <laughs> come on, let's be honest in church. But the day will come that we get old. And when you build your relationship solely on body and a little bit on the soul, but you undervalue the spirit of the man or the woman, I'm telling you that you're going to set yourself up for a lifetime of arguing, a lifetime of just battling back and forth. And I can just, come on, this is preventative medication today. If you are single, make sure the most important thing about your relationship, if you're in a dating relationship right now, let's go further, if you're married, why do we fight so much with our soul? Why are we not very intimate with our bodies? Why, why are we losing our, our, our edge in our relationship? I'm telling you right now that here's the truth, that you're here, your spouse, your girlfriend, boyfriend are here, fiance are here, and if you make a decision to both go after God, what will happen is the, the further you both go up, it's almost like a V, and the closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. And many people are like, we're growing apart. You're growing apart because your value in life is more on body or soul, hobbies and entertainment, than it is on God. Isn't it crazy? Body, soul, spirit. Why is it we go to the gym six days a week, we'll spend $200 a month on a trainer to take care of our body, we'll spend 100 grand to go to college to educate our minds, which is our soul, but we, we, we actually scorn when we have to go to church once a week for an hour and a half to educate our spirit. If I was the devil, I would get everybody to devalue organizing their spirit. Feeding the appetite. Ban can come up here, I feel something in here. Your spirit. This is logical truth today, friends. That why is it we're so out of shape spiritually but we all live in these manicured bodies? It's because the devil has trained us that the most important part about you is your body. It's your image. I want you to write this down. That God doesn't value your image. He values your identity. And we live in a world that's so image-focused because it's all about what you have, what you drive, what you look like. I'm not against nice stuff. I don't think God is. God has no problem with stuff. But God does have a problem when stuff starts having you. Are you following me? What good is that sweet car if you can't drive in it with someone that loves you? What good is that mansion or that beautiful house if it's not full of love with your kids and with your spouse. I would tell you that we live in a society that, again, it values cars on the road more than it values your spouse in your house. We're going we're gonna to be a community here that says, God, our appetite is your appetite. And if you're into honor and marriage, I'm into honor and marriage. If you're into submitting to one another, I'm into submitting to one another. Ephesians 5 is one of the most misquoted context scriptures in the Bible that even non-pagan guys say, well, it says in the Bible to submit to your wife or to submit to your husband. Well, they don't ever read the verse before that says submit to one another. Do you know that Christianity in the ancient world introduced a new idea that marriage was a co-submission to one another? We always think of the word submission as a bad thing. Do you know what submission means? It actually comes from two words, submit. Sub is the Greek word that we get underneath from. It means underneath. That's why submarine means underneath water. It's a boat, marine, sub, under. It's a boat underwater, submarine. To be in submission to somebody, it means to literally come under one another's missions in life. You have a mission, I have a mission. I'm going to get under what God made you for, 
and you're going to get under what God made me for. And when we both live to please the mission of the other, we find this romance in our marriage that you start loving me on a level that you never love me. And I start loving you on a level that you never love, love the other way. Struggling today. Need a more coffee this morning. I'm telling you today, there is something powerful when you make up your mind that I will outserve you. I will outlove you. I'm going to believe in your dreams more than you believe in your dreams. I'm preaching to myself today. I want to believe in Rochelle's dreams even more this year. And I'm telling you right now, if you make it your aim in a relationship, to be selfless. The number one killer in a relationship is selfishness. And I'm telling you, that's why most people don't get married anymore. Three things cause young people not get, not get married. Fear, because they saw what happened to their parents. Or what they saw what happened to their friends that are married. Fear st- stops it. And here's the second one, irresponsibility. We want to make enough money to eat pizza and play video games forever. But I want you to know that you become a man when you say, you know what, I value taking care of my family and actually want to actually be responsible, not just for my mission in life, but for your mission in life. When you're willing to to not only honor the call that's on your life, but actually honor the purpose that's on your spouse's life, that's when you're ready to get married. I don't want just what's for me in life. I want what's for you. And I will live the rest of my days mining the gold that's in my wife's heart and helping her achieve the goals that God's put inside of her. We started a magazine. I'm like, God, this is expensive. I've had my low moments. I'm like, dear God, this is hard. I didn't go to Harvard. The only PhD I have is in prayer, healing, and deliverance. Come on. I'm like, God, help me. And I'm telling you that we started this magazine not because I'm into fashion so much or I'm so into kids. kids. It was because it was in my wife's heart. And I'm telling you that great spouses say, you know what? I'm submitted. I'm underneath the mission that God has for you. This is good today. And some of you, you're fighting in your marriage because you want her to be into your mission, but you're not into hers. And vice versa. I feel something in this room. Holy Spirit, come. Would you stand your feet? Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.